A sample from the yet-to-be-released audiobook for Hashtag Agora. Aren't you going to lock it? I ask when she just leans the bike against a wall and walks. Why? Who's going to steal it? Besides, no one can handle it besides me. It's a bike. What's to handle? Stop whining. It won't get you into my pants. And check out these. She says, grabbing a handful of mixed nuts from a table outside the restaurant. She throws her head back, pours them into her mouth, and chews noisily. I haven't eaten since I got on the train, but I'm nervous and not hungry. Katie is totally at ease or pretending to be, but I haven't been to many political conventions. There's quite a crowd inside the restaurant, most of them suited up and elegant. We're here in t-shirts and jeans, and Katie hasn't even rolled down her right pant leg. Katie pushes the glass door open, and I am drowned in the noise of hundreds of talking voices. Someone's doing checks on the microphone. A few heads turn when we enter, but nobody seems to be interested in us much. Hey! Katie screams in my ear. I turn to hear her better. What? I scream back. I'm gonna do some coke in the bathroom. You wanna come? I'm certain somebody must have heard that, but nobody reacts. Uh, no, I'm, I'm good. You, you go ahead, and I'll pick us some seats, I scream. Okay, you sure you don't want any cocaine? She screams. I give her the finger and she laughs. I can't hear her laugh, of course, it's too loud. But the wrinkles around her lips and the flashing teeth make her look even prettier. I see some space on a bench towards the back of the room. The viewing angle to the projector isn't too great. You have to turn almost 90 degrees to see whoever's talking. I sit down and my neighbor smiles at me. Good to see friends of freedom, he says. Yes, uh, quite a turnout tonight, no? I say. It's quite an event. You know, even he will be here. Who? You know, burned. I'm sorry, he's burned. The guy looks at me like I'm from Mars. He's chubby and unshaven in a programmer sort of way. He wears a dress shirt that seems like an office uniform on him. Burned Bach? Haven't you read his book? No, I I haven't. Uh, What's it about? It's called The Socialist Conspiracy. Is it about socialism? Not really. It's more about the conspiracy of the ruling and economic elites, how they make all the important decisions and stuff. I see. I lie. You should really read it. I came just to see him speak. He's a great speaker. Okay, I say, not really knowing how to reply. Katie, where are you? Are you in the truth movement? He asks. Um, I'm not sure what you mean. I I like truth, yes. I mean, who wants to be lied to, right? No, I, I mean the truth movement. Do you know about that? I don't think so. Well, it's basically the movement demanding clarification and investigation of the September 11th attacks on the World Trade Center. Seriously? I say. Of course. This event is the most important sign that the global power elites are plotting to take away our rights and freedoms to install a worldwide system of socialism. Well, I say, I agree, socialism is bad. I don't want socialism. Exactly, says my neighbor. Then, you should join the movement. I don't think about it, I say. Think about what? Me? Katie says, and I jerk my head to the left in surprise. Oh, hey, there you are. How'd it go? Yeah, I'm about as high as a fucking kite. Can I sit down next to you? She's been staring at me intensely for 30 seconds without twitching or blinking her eyes. That freaks me out. Sure, I say, and slide closer to the truth guy. Katie turns around in a very deliberate way and carefully sits her tiny ass down on the bench next to me. Then she looks at me again, no expression on her face. I feel great. I'm glad you came. She turns her head very slowly to the podium. Thanks, I say, but it's probably just the drugs. Truth guy leans over. You shouldn't do drugs. The global power elites use them to control our minds and distract us from the truth. Katie keeps looking at the podium. I think I forgot my tinfoil hat, she says very loudly. Truth Guy leans back and refrains from further communication with us. 
You're listening to the Vanu Podcast, the podcast making you invulnerable to the coercion of the state and the servile society. Visit our website for free resources to aid you in your pursuit of self-liberation, old Vanu publications, podcasts, guest articles, and much more. Go to vanupodcast.com. And now, your hosts, Shane and Jason. Hey guys, Shane here with the conclusionary episode to this Building the Second Realm re-release here on the Vanu Podcast. As always, I'm your host Shane, coming to you from the Free Republic of Pasnia. Uh, for more information, please visit pasnia.com. So this episode was originally released on April 29th, 2018, and is titled Hashtag Agora and Conclusion. We began by discussing the terrific Crypto Agora's novella, Hashtag Agora. Uh, in addition to an overview, we cover a few portions each that we found to, we found to be important. And uh, at the end of the episode, Kyle and I talk about the past, present, and future more generally uh, as it pertains to Second Realms or the building of freedom. Uh, definitely not one of those nuts and bolts type episodes. I guess you could say it was a uh, lighthearted, fun, and extremely positive way to conclude this series. But again, we're definitely not done with the subject of Second Realms. I don't think I have anything else to say. Uh, my conclusionary thoughts remain much the same as they were uh, you know, around two years ago, so I'll, I'll, I'll leave, uh, leave you to that. Uh, but I can personally attest to the fact that Second Realms are popping up everywhere, and that the future looks extremely bright for those in pursuit of self-liberation. So, keep your eyes and mind open to opportunities. And, without further ado, let's get building. Well, things have been kind of very exciting in my personal life, which I would prefer not to go into detail at this time, at least until some things kind of shake over. But yes, I will say, Shane, I think this episode in particular, correct me if I'm wrong, might very well be the very first LUA episode where we've actually had to have it uh, mention it that it's NSFW. Correct me if I'm wrong. Right, right. And granted, uh, you know, there might be some, like, I, I, we probably should provide that disclaimer for, like, the Assassination Politics episode or, the, like, the Anarchist Vigilante series. Uh, but I think the title alone for that just, you know, speaks <laughs> not safe for work. So there, there are other episodes where it might have been a wise idea, where, where it might have been a good idea. But, uh, but yeah, kind of the first time where we know going into it, um, we, 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 we know for a fact, and the listeners might not, that uh, and might, might get a little, uh, little, little too, uh, a little too explosive for soft ears, right? <laughs> a, a little, a little racy, perhaps. A little, uh, a little sensuous, and at least some of the subject matter, perhaps. I don't know about that one though. What you just mentioned, um, if I remember correctly, NSFW usually means sexuality mentioned here. Don't play in mixed company, kind of thing, right? Um, I mean, unless NSFW is broader than oh, just covering know. issues of sexuality. Uh, in which case, if it is broader, then yes, I would agree with you regarding those earlier episodes on assassination markets. Uh, uh, vigilantism, etc. Um, but if it's only sexuality, that's what NSFW means, then otherwise this would be the very first episode of LUA so, ever to actually need NSFW disclaimer right from the beginning. So yes, uh, this podcast episode is intended for 18 years or older because legal reasons, because lawyers, because government uh, dicta- dictates or whatever, and because corruption so, of our youth or whatever. <laughs> so not safe for work, I just Googled it. Um it's uh the message contains sexual or repulsive content. So yeah, Ooh, I think, what's repulsive? I think assassination. I think talking about killing their rulers might be considered <laughs> repulsive content. So I, I don't think this is our first. I don't think this is a first. So <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess it depends what repulse. At least with sexuality, at least there's kind of that's more objective. It's like oh, sexuality. Okay, well, I think we kind of know where this is going, right? But repulsive is interesting because different things are repulsive to different people. Because well, revolution. 
resolutions or vigilantism or things more along like use of force issues may not necessarily be repulsive to John, but it may be to Jane Doe, right? Yeah, yeah, I suppose it depends upon the uh, depends upon the individual. Um, but yeah, I, I guess that's a, a good a good point there. <laughs> a good point. So, um, so yeah, I guess what, what what else is new? Is there anything you want want to discuss before we uh, before we get rolling? I would just say that whomever the authors of this novella are have like my utmost respect and even admiration. And even though I will probably never get around to meeting them, because as we'll get to here shortly, we really have no idea who they are. I would say this is one of the very best pieces of fiction I have ever read. I like, honestly, this is this is like so fucking I read it amazing. one evening. I sat. I wasn't planning on it. Like I was, I was just surfing around Interplex, and I was like, "Oh, hashtag Agora." I think Kyle wrote a book report on that. And I opened it up and read like the first few sentences, and I was like, "Oh, they're talking about Bitcoin. Oh, they're talking about Agorism. Oh my God, this is awesome!" I just kept kept fucking reading. So yeah. I, oh, oh, and it gets so much better from there. But yes, that's how. Yes, the point is that that's how it gets kicked off. And then it just gets better, 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 better. And then it's like, wait, I'm done because it's a novella, not a novel. Uh, novellas are short novels, for those who don't know. And uh, yeah, then you're at the end and it's like, but it's over, except the ending was very interesting and in that it may not necessarily be the end in terms of like that whole world building thing. So they kind of left the door open a little bit. But uh, but yeah, it's um, it was it was it's quite amazing the way that it was written. It was the skill uh, in terms of fiction writing is some of the very best I've ever, I've ever read. I mean, like right. I'm, I'm floored by how amazing it is. And the fact that it was released for free on the internet and honestly uh, too, basically, I mean, so yeah, there's like the whole kind of like, there's an implicit like anti-intellectual property, anti-copyright kind of thing to it because there's no, there's no library of Congress number. There's no, or whatever the hell there, there's none of that stuff that you usually see in more mainstream uh, publications and books and such. I mean, there's right. nothing. I the mean, book, the book is just a text document. It's a dot TXT document. Literally guys. I, I'm not, was, yeah, I'm not, was I'm not kidding. <laughs> that was the version that was off of Anarplex. Um, there's also a more refined version that I mirrored on the blog, which you can get off the book report, which was, uh, maybe maybe I need that one for the, uh, for when I'm going to print this book for the MPL fest. Damn, I I have to restart this. I think, I think so. Um, because the version that was all that I found on a certain other, um, document sharing website that shall go unnamed, uh, even had like a cover page, like a cover page and stuff. Like it's really, really nice. And the the text is bigger. There's more pages, but oh, it's right. still pretty short for a novella, as is appropriate for a novella and such. And that that's the one I kind of linked to and mirrored and such because it, the formatting was 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 a lot kinder. Even if you were to print it out and like staple it or something and give it to somebody, like an actual hard copy, the other version, not the text document, I think would be a lot kinder on the eyes because it's you know bigger fonts and so forth. Uh, but yeah, it's I mean, but whichever ver- there's yeah. So yes, ladies and gentlemen, there actually are two different versions of the book and in terms of like like the actual text size and all that um but that just shows how grassroots this thing really is it's like there's already multiple versions of this novella that almost nobody's ever heard about which is why we're doing in part why we're doing this episode gotcha yeah so i might have to uh i might have to redo the uh the formatting for the uh for the uh, for the manuscript then oh well not a big deal and seriously too i mean i am so impressed with this book and obviously what I'm about to propose would need some coordination. It would take some time to do, even if everything came together at the same time. But I would absolutely... be an audiobook too. 
Thank you. Yes. I already thought about that today. Yeah, I be, because, totally don't mind you stealing my thunder because I was thinking <laughs> the exact same thing. Yes, I, I thought and about I'm, I thought about it earlier, man. So I yeah, I think that's a re- like and putting up it on putting up putting it up on Amazon uh, too for and and really having it available for free and then uh, for free you know digital download and then having a paperback and then selling it on Amazon with the audiobook I think would be a really be another way to you know like raise money so um for for my van nomadism so I can get to second realms uh, a little selfish there but it's uh, it's a great book and I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to put in the work to get it printed so <laughs> yeah well it's a funny way of putting it you just put it but yeah i mean it would be lovely i mean the uh, shall we say the dramatis personae isn't isn't very large we would just need somebody to play um you know the protagonist um whoever yeah, we would need be a, doing we need a female yeah maybe Melissa i would again. Say, i would say the hardest one to cast would be katie who's my favorite character she would be the hardest because there's so many di- it's you know let me just make a kind of a, a mainstream comparison it's kind of like harley quinn uh, from like the Batman, uh, uh, whatever the hell. Yeah, because there's so many ways you could do Harley Quinn wrong and only like less than a handful of ways you can actually portray her accurately to like the spirit of her character and and such. So like, for example, in that one, I, and I know people really don't like the, um, the so-called DCU uh, mainstream Hollywood movies or whatever. I will say that in Suicide Squad, the lady, the also, I think she's an Australian, whatever her name is, the actress, nailed Harley Quinn perfectly. And I was amazed. Like the rest of the movie, eh, you could take it or leave it. But she nailed Harley Quinn. Perfect. I'm a big Harley Quinn fan. Okay. She nailed it perfectly because there's so many different ways to, to potentially do her wrong. And I would say something kind of similar here in this novella with, with Katie is that there's so many – because she's a very complex character. And we'll get to that here shortly, uh, as well as like the context of the story in general, because uh, this is all like preview stuff before we get into meat and potatoes and such. But um, but yeah, I mean, Katie's very complex, and it's also very easy to misunderstand her, as is, was even pointed out during the course of the story, where a lot of uh, usually the male characters uh, misunderstand her because, uh, shall we say, they have ulterior motives when it comes to the bedroom and such. Uh, their desire is not hers and so forth. And then it gets kind of complicated from there. Uh, so yeah, uh, never miss, never misunderstand, uh, lady characters, especially well-written ones, especially complex ones, because they'll always take you for a ride and not necessarily in the sexual sense. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. Interesting. So yeah, I mean, I, I don't. We've already kind of moved into it, so I think we'll just blow past small talk. Uh, because I, uh, yeah, I think we'll just blow past it. So, um, I, I guess the the first thing we should do is, uh, I guess you know, an overview of the book uh, before we really start to, to dive into it. So, Kyle, would you mind providing uh, the listeners with uh, an overview, kind of a brief introduction of hashtag Agora? Sure. So. The novella Hashtag Agora is said um, is basically set against the backdrop of, I guess it would be modern day, uh, early 21st century. Uh, I guess it is Berlin, actually. Yeah. It's in Germany, uh, which yeah. is interesting because apparently, uh, like most of the characters are German in Germany, in Berlin, and everybody's speaking English. Uh, make sense of that as you will. Maybe it's not all that strange to people who live there. Um, but yeah, that, that's kind of like why the characters' names all sound like not American, not uh, even British, even it's, it's all very because they're in Britain. Or excuse me, they're, they're in Germany. So uh, by, by the, the way, there is a really big, I guess, or there is a really great crypto anarchist community in, uh, in, in Germany. So um, yeah, found that out from Paul Rosenberg. So this is uh, at this is that that definitely makes sense that they're all German. <laughs> yeah, uh, that that kind of that kind of seems to be the case and and such. So it's it against that kind of backdrop, and 
what we're kind of looking at here is basically a I think it probably would be fair to describe it as a partial coming of age story, at least from the protagonist's point of view, where he's kind of starting from a certain point in his life where he's kind of just disillusioned. And then you see him kind of develop, at least to some in some sense, where he's he already has predilections and leanings towards certain things rather than others. And then you basically see him kind of evolve to where he pretty much comes out the other side fully immersed in what he was kind of leaning towards anyway. So he now yeah. has, so in other words, he has the courage of his, of his convictions now because he's now certain, whereas before he was kind of trepidatious. And, um, that seems to kind of be the main driver for this. Um, the narrative style for the novella is very much from his perspective. So he's both narrating the action and you also kind of see him having conversations with the other characters. So it's it's kind of like a it's kind of um, how do I say this? It's like limited first person omniscient to some degree. Um, I think is more is the more technical term in English litter or whatever. Um, so that that's kind of what's what's going on is basically you're more or less seeing everything through his perspective. And either he's directly interacting with the other characters in the story or he's describing other things that are going on that he happens to have knowledge of. Yeah, I definitely agree. And um, I think it's, it was, it's, it's really I mentioned them at the beginning of the book a, a moment ago. And uh, it, it's, it was interesting kind of the, the way the, the, the characters were, I guess, the characters and the, the plot uh, worked out because uh, it was actually this guy's friends. Um, and, and what was the uh, the main character's name? I had I, I read your um, Daniel LaRusso, which, if I remember correctly, was ripped straightly from uh, the Karate Kid, right? <laughs> I don't know. I, I have no idea. But uh, but so it was actually Daniel's friend who said, oh, my gosh, dude, look at this website. And it was the Bitcoin.com. Like he, he was introduced to Bitcoin by his friend who was, you know, kind of into it and was, you know, going to start practicing agorism. And then Daniel, who was, uh, you know, he, he was he definitely was not an anarchist at the beginning of the uh, uh, of the book. And he really didn't understand a whole lot. He definitely didn't, didn't understand the monetary system and why, you know, agorism and second realms are necessary. But um you know, he he you know went to Bitcoin, learned more about it, found the deep web IRC chat, met up with Katie, the uh, another main character, and then he you know eventually became completely immersed in the second realm. So, and his friend was kind of lagging behind the one that introduced him to it. Uh, <laughs> the uh, the student became the teacher, right? Uh, so it was just really interesting the way that that worked out in the story. Yeah, it was pretty much he's kind of going from from one thing to the other, right? It kind of starts from the more digital end of things. And even right from the beginning, the idea is kind of like getting off the Internet to some degree and getting, you know, IR as as the as the, as the cool kids would say, you know, IRL like in real life. Yeah, and the kind there, of going, there are there are digital second realms, too, though. But uh, there, there definitely is. Um, it's, I think it's kind of a necessary duality, as we've talked about before in episodes that, you know, both physical and digital second realms are necessary. Um, they, they both are, in my opinion. And I think they, they kind of express that, uh, you know, Smuggler X, Y, Z do in their book. And also, I think they express that in hashtag Agora quite clearly. Well, I mean, the other thing, too, is that most of the action in the novella is not on the internet. You know, th that's what's kind of interesting for for a novel Fair about enough, yeah. for a novel about you could say crypto anarchism, but actually more specifically, it's actually crypto agorism technically. Um, but for like crypto hyphen fill in the blank for a lot of stuff that's kind of focused more on that kind of subject matter. What's rather interesting is that most of it is most of the action in the novella is not 
through the internet. In fact, you could argue there's more internet-centric activity in that other novel, which was Logic A Lodging of Wafer, yeah. which was actually referenced in, in Hashtag Agora, interestingly yes, enough. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. So, yeah. That's, but yeah, that, that, yeah, that is interesting because the, the, the digital chats were basically just plot devices to move it along. Um, that was like, that was kind of how they were used. They weren't a focal point of the book. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think as, as even, even for a crypto anarchist, I mean, if, if all of the people that you associate with are in your area, there's not a whole lot of reasons to use, you know, digital communication. So I think it makes sense, but it is interesting that, you know, these crypto anarchists aren't really doing anything. Uh, they aren't really, you know, communicating digitally, but they're doing a lot of crypto anarchist stuff in the book though. So there, there is that. Yes, yes, there is, especially like with the uh, the, the the laptop modification business or laptop modding, because that's oh, yeah. what I will mention. This as a plot point. So part of like Daniel's activities in this kind of crypto underground uh, fill in the blank is basically he is selling modified laptops or laptop modding. You sell uh, ghost at, pads, but they aren't called ghost pads. Yeah, that's basically, the Jamin Baconic, man. Yeah, the, yeah, you need to read this book. <laughs> you need yeah, to read this book. basically, that's that's what he's doing. And um, I think there was a quote by uh, I think it was Katie who mentioned about. Actually, this comes straight from her. She said, "Quote: Not everyone is so tech savvy, and not everyone wants to do that. You don't clean your own clothes and grow your own foods. You could probably do it, but you got better things to do." Through economies of scale and specialization, some people just make more money doing other stuff for an hour than installing Linux and downloading software. Close quote. Yeah. So that's that's Katie, my favorite character in this novella, coming out swinging right out hard, explaining why um, why Daniel working actually for another crypto agorist, because uh, who actually owns the business. Um, is is making as much money, you know, selling these la- these modified laptops, and she just like like a real, like a good economist. She actually explains very succinctly why this is profitable. Right, right. And I have another another quote here, and that's it's more specific. It's not necessarily the economics. It's uh, basically the uh, the the product itself. This uh, this ghost pad that's not called a ghost pad in the novel. But um, anyways, quote: See you see you got to have a password right in the beginning. There's nothing at all you can do with this thing. Not even enter the BIOS without entering a password. The hard drive is encrypted too. So if someone steals your laptop and plugs the drive into another computer, he won't see shit. The cheapest mod we do is a $300 markup from the hardware. So if you order a $1,000 laptop, it's $1,300. I think if they want a secure machine, Windows is not an option. And this isn't really too different for the user. There's LibreOffice, Firefox, and a few accounting apps. There's Thunderbird with GPG pre-installed, of course. OpenVPN pre-configured. If you buy the premium package, it includes a one-year membership of encrypted Skynet VPN service. So you got your multi-hop VPN tunnel right there in quote. I'm so happy they mentioned the multi-hop VPN because that's something that Paul, Paul Rosenberg provides a service like this called Crypto Hippie. Uh, it's more expensive, but it's actually a multi-hop VPN, whereas most of the ones you pay for um, are single hop and therefore are less secure. Um, so you can, like, I, I paid like, you know, $15 for a year of um, the private internet access uh, for Paul Rosenberg's service for, for Crypto Hippie. You pay for, you pay for, pay for what you get, right? Uh, it's like $250 a year. Um, but it is, uh, it's, it's legit. It is, uh, it is legit. So I think it's interesting that they mention, uh, you know, the multi-hop VPN tunnel. Um, but yeah, so there's the, uh, there, there's the, uh, the, uh, you know, quote ghost pads and hashtag Agora. Yeah. Yeah. That's, 
<laughs> I'm I'm really glad they kind of mentioned that too because at least it gets people thinking. I think there was also um, help me out here. I think there was like also a scene elsewhere in the novella where uh, they were trying to like uh, pay for a room like off a cell phone oh, or something yeah, like yeah, opening the, a door. The Taz. The Taz. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there's uh there's a, a section. I mean, the if you look at the book, it's it's it, like I said, it's a .txt documents, and uh, at least the one that I looked at, and uh, there's not really chapters. It's just you know a continued dialogue, and there might be like uh you know um you know, three ellipses or something, or there might be an ellipses to you know continue the next section, but that's it. Um, so this uh, this section is called Taz. Um, so basically, what you're gonna what you're gonna see here is uh, it's a hidden hotel uh, hidden hotel um, that's uh, you know accessed you know remotely uh, and or you know using automation. So uh, here it is. Quote: I'm amazed at how well how well hidden the hotel is. Standing in the lobby of the building, I wouldn't know there's rooms to rent in it if I hadn't been told. In fact, I'm not sure if I'm in the right building. <laughs> I open the hotel app on my phone and book a room. They're 15 euros a night in this locale. Uh, I pay in gold backings from my open transactions account. Somewhere in the darkness, a green LED lights up. I find a small P.O. box with a key in it. It's labeled 12th floor, room 1203. I enter the elevator and go up to my room. Luxurious to say the least. After taking a shower and looking out, out of the window over the city, I go to bed, end quote. So... We did that episode on the blessings of technology, and we talked about the, um, you know, the the the, the uh, title they used was just so long. Um, but basically, we're talking about you know remote access and uh, you know remote defense systems um, at its core. So we talked about that in the blessings of technology, and here's a I guess a fictional example of how kind of that remote access uh, could be handled uh, for temporary autonomous zones or for I guess uh, vanuing in cities, right? Because that's kind of what they're doing here. That's uh so yeah that's a t- an example of a temporary autonomous zone in second realm in the book. Yeah, exactly. And I think it was kind of good to use fiction as a medium to try and show people how that kind of technology can be used in such a way to to enhance privacy, frankly. Right, right. And uh speaking of, uh there was there's something mentioned there in that uh in that quote. One second. I'm going to get the website open so I can provide some uh some information on this. Um, so, so uh, he mentions that he pays with uh, quote, I pay in gold backings for my open transactions account. Uh, so there's actually kind of an interesting back, you know, interesting backstory here. Uh, so open transactions, uh, second realmers back in, you know, 2013 or 2014, they realized way ahead of time that uh, Bitcoin was not anonymous. Uh, they realized that the folks, uh, you know, at the Silk Road could have, uh, you know, really, really, uh, you know, utilized that information. But it was out there. I mean, open transactions was was a thing. It was public. Uh, I actually reached out to some crypto anarchists and said, hey, have you heard of this? And uh, they said, oh, yeah, I, I think it's a really awesome idea. Unfortunately, I think, uh, you know, it kind of died, though. I don't think anyone's working on it anymore. Let me read a little bit, uh, a little bit about this for the uh, the crypto anarchists, those who are, are, I guess, keen on digital currencies here. So, uh, the Open Transaction Project is a collaborative collaborative effort to develop a robust commercial grade, fully featured free software toolkit, implementing the OTX protocol as well as a full strength financial cryptography library, API, GUI, command line interface, and prototype notary server. The project is managed by a worldwide community of volunteers that use the internet to communicate, plan, and develop the Open Transactions toolkit and its related documentation. Uh, so here is uh, the financial cryptography section. Financial cryptography means using strong cryptographic techniques to create secure financial instruments, such as digital signing to create non-repudiable contracts and encryption to create untraceable digital cash. 
and OT transactions are unforgeable. In other words, I guess uh, double spending, at least to a certain extent. Uh, receipts are destructible, and balances cannot be falsified or charged without user consent. OT is able to prove all balances, as well as which instruments are valid and which transactions have closed without storing any history, except the last signed receipt. Open transactions implement financial instruments as Ricardian contracts, contracts which can be understood by both humans and, and manipulated by software. All contracts and open transactions use the same basic structure. All parties involved sign an agreement, which is notarized by an independent third-party witness. This technique is known as triple signed receipts. Importantly, transactions are formed and signed on the client side first before being notarized by any server. An OT client is thus ensured that an OT notary server cannot falsify his receipts against his will since the server can't forge the client's signature. The basic structure can be built upon to create many types of financial instruments. So it's interesting. Uh, it's an interesting kind of implementation there. Uh, so working with financial instruments, open transactions is designed to provide the highest security possible for both the issuers and bearers of financial instruments. Servers in open transactions act as notaries, which can witness and confirm balances, but it cannot change them. Every party associated in a financial instrument can prove their balance to any other party, and no party can alter the balance of any other party without their agreement. Even a malicious notary cannot do this. Open transactions represents represents. Uh, Quantities of a given unit type as as deposit agreements, which are signed by the bearer and a notary. So the difference here, um, the main difference between open transactions and what we you know more commonly know as digital currencies currencies today is that open transactions. This was a system to include like you could pay with cash, you could pay with gold, you could pay with silver. Um, you could do that, and it's uh, it's both digital and physical. So it's a really interesting kind of implementation there, um, an interesting protocol. Um, as I said, it hasn't. I guess it's the 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 uh, I guess the pull requests have kind of you know gone down to nothing, and it hasn't been updated in a while. But uh, here's some some I guess some examples of uh, financial instruments in the open transaction system. So transfers and atomic movement of funds from one account to a different account, like a bank account to account transfer. Checks, a payment which is not deducted from the sender's account until the recipient claims it. Vouchers, a payment which is deducted from the sender's account at the time of creation. Invoices, a payment request which the recipient can opt to pay from any of his accounts. Cash, anonymous cryptographic tokens which can be securely redeemed by the recipient without revealing the sender. Market offers open agreements to exchange a given quality of one instrument type for a given quantity of another instrument type. Smart contracts, uh, customizable agreements between multiple parties, container uh, containing user-defined scripted clauses, hooks, and variables. So uh, I guess just to speak to the silver and gold specifically, the use cases. So there's something called deposit accounting. Entities that hold assets on behalf of depositors. Uh, can use open transactions to issue promissory notes as negotiable instruments. Examples of such depositories include precious metals, central bank currencies, and cryptocurrencies. So that's kind of the main difference here. It's really, really interesting. And I was surprised when I reached out to a couple of crypto anarchists who are very, very, uh, you know, they they love, you know, I guess they don't love it, but they, they kind of feel a duty to call you know, things scams uh, if they are scams. Um, so with open transactions, they were all really, really impressed with it. Um, Unfortunately, it hasn't really been developed upon, but um, these were the second realmers. This was what uh, you know the 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 main payment uh, payment uh, medium that was used in hashtag Agora. So I just want to provide that uh, for at least kind of the technical aspects behind it, at least some of them, because it's really really interesting. Yes, yes, it is, and I'm glad you mentioned that because I think one of the uses of fiction is to kind of encourage people to think creatively about things that they otherwise wouldn't think about IRL, if you will. So that's that I think is is kind of rather important. And and yeah, the characters in this novella are very much 
uh, very much tech savvy. Okay, kind of it kind of oh, goes yeah. along with the territory, right? Uh, some of them are more tech savvy than others, but there's a certain baseline that everybody's kind of familiar with, right? In fact, the very name of the novella is actually uh, based on. I guess it is. I guess you could say the IRL uh, hashtag Agora uh, IRC chat room, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. So I think I mentioned. In one episode, at least, that uh, I actually did get into the IR- the deep web IRC chat for hashtag Agora, and uh, I exchanged a message with messages with Smuggler, the author of this book. Um, and uh, so, so that's uh, so it exists. It's not that hard to get to. Just go to anterplex.net, and I actually pull this up so I can you know give some actual you know advice here on. It's actually really easy, really easy to access, which is uh, kind of surprising. I guess there's there's obvious there's probably other ways there or there are other ways to connect, but you can do it pretty easily. Um, so let me see here. Agora IRC. Uh, so you go to anterplex.net, click Agora IRC, uh, click connect to the server, and then you can connect directly from the clearnet. Um, there it says connect directly via Chatzilla, etc. You can click uh, that link right there, and uh, it should get that uh, that opened up for you. So it's it's actually pretty easy to do, and uh, I, I've I've been in there probably a handful of times, and uh, one time I was able to actually chat with people. There are about thirty people that just sit in there, but a lot of them are AFK. So I'd recommend uh, you know go check it out. I mean, it's a really really cool place to be. These these people are really these individuals are super hardcore. So if you can get a conversation with them, um, I would recommend that uh, that you do that. Uh, so yeah, the the hashtag Agora chat, which that actually played a, a pretty major part in, in hashtag Agora too. As I said, the the chat rooms there were were kind of plot devices, and uh, they talked about open transactions in there which i know they did a few years back um and um you know a bunch of other really cool stuff too so yeah i'd recommend checking that out well well daniel the protagonist i mean his whole story the how the novella starts is in the hashtag agora irc that's where it started yes that's where he met katie and that's when they eventually you know decided to meet up you know was was from that irc chat yeah, exactly, exactly. And so, yes, even the the very title of the novella itself is is a direct reference to something that you can actually go visit on the actual internet and such. So, yeah, that that's that's just kind of something to keep in mind. I mean, there there very much is a um, art imitating life, life imitating art kind of going on here. Just just to be just to be clear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. So, I, I, another interesting feature of this book is. That's uh, they they work in the modern anarchist community. Uh, so for for example, uh, and I don't think this is really a spoiler, and if it is, you know, we we gave that disclaimer earlier. Um, but they're just really really neat. Uh, I guess a really neat implementation. So the characters in the book actually go to Porkfest. I think the main motivation for that was to sell more, you know, quote ghost pads. Um, I think they were there on a business trip and also to meet up with with other anarchists and such too. But uh, the characters go to Porkfest and they attend Mises University there in Auburn, Alabama. Uh, and there's some pretty interesting. Uh, uh, interactions with folks like Jeffrey Tucker. Uh, he's in the book. Uh, there's some in, some interactions with him. Uh, I think uh, you know Bob Murphy's in there too, and uh, there there's some other ones as well. Uh, so I, I think you wanted to mention something about uh, kind of the way that these uh, that these uh, characters uh, these these real life characters were portrayed. Yes. Well, let's see. Um, without giving too much away, because there's one particular detail I want the <laughs> listeners to actually read about because if i were to mention it here it probably would be taken out of context and make make another character look bad who doesn't deserve it because if you understand it in context it's actually pretty fucking funny and and and, and fits and fits what i will say here a little preview so to speak is that um <clears throat> mr jeffrey tucker austrian economist 
with his um, with his affectation for a certain multinational conglomerate fast food restaurant chain who shall go unnamed because they are evil eat because as opposed to their slogan I'm not loving it um, <laughs> yes his affectation for that particular multinational conglomerate is very much uh, emphasized here like by name and like even when they go sit inside one of the uh, fast food joints he's like tipping the waiter and stuff <laughs> It's not it's, even a waiter. <laughs> or, excuse not even me, a waiter. yeah, not even a waiter. It's like one the of the janitor- minim- tipping the janitorial staff. I don't know. <laughs> or what? Yeah, if like I'm. Yeah, excuse me. Calling them a, calling them waiters is actually giving is actually giving waiters a bad name. Um, yeah, it's it's like he's tipping like the poor minimum wage slobs or whatever, and it's just uh, the cashiers. I think it was or whatever, and it's just like, oh my god, really? Like this is just. So, yes, if if a multinational conglomerate is like his definition of a free market, I think we're in a lot more trouble than than, you know, even El Presidente Trump or whatever. I I, I think it's I think it's that kind of bad, you know, because remember, Tucker's supposed to be an anarchist. So I don't, I don't know how multinational conglomerates can uh, fit into that. You know, just saying. Right, right. But yeah, I did, I did find that absolutely hilarious. And uh, I mean, you don't really see that a lot. Um, and and, and, and fi- I mean, there's not, not a, really a whole lot of anarchist Nagoris fiction anyways. So that's not really something, you know, the kind of that's uh, interacting interaction between fiction and also, you know, real life with real people um, that are accurately portrayed. So uh, I thought that was that was really interesting. It, it just made the book that much better. Right. It made mm-hmm. it feel that mo- that much more real. Yes, yes. So so the fictional characters are actually meeting up with fictionalized portrayals of otherwise real people, uh, which was kind of real cool. Again, art imitating life, life imitating art. I thought it was really kind of awesome because there, there, was, there were some caricatures of Mr. Tucker and even another Austrian economist. But a, I, a, I bi- think a big a big property debate um, or a big I, I guess property a, a debate. Big, yeah, big property debate. Uh, between uh, I think Daniel Larusso and Bob Murphy, and maybe one other person too. I don't. Know, maybe was it a Hoppe? No, it, no, it was actually Walter Block. Walter on Block, the yeah, yeah, Walter Block, yeah, but yeah. On the road, it was about the roads yeah. and and some other things. So yeah, it was it was it was really good. I I I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was fantastic, and there were there were earlier references to like the Austrian school of economics too. Uh, even back in Germany. Uh, and where most of the novella takes place. So when they hop, so when some of the characters hop stateside uh, to go on their tour or whatever, it was it was really nice seeing everything kind of come full circle in a manner of speaking. Yeah, I, I think if the if the if the uh, characters didn't go to uh, come come here to uh, the the states, I think uh, I, I I don't know, it wouldn't have been as good. It wouldn't have been as good uh, because you know I. Maybe they do go to Porkfest and such, right? Maybe these second roamers do attend those sorts of things. I don't know. That'd be, that'd be pretty cool to, to, to think about, though. It is pretty cool. To yeah, think <laughs> yeah, it is. It, it absolutely is. And um, it was interesting, too. Like, once the characters come back from their uh, from that side of the pond, back to their side of the pond, so to speak, um, it was also interesting how that kind of segued into the ending of the novella and how everything ended, uh, not to spoil it, but how everything ended on an extremely unusually high good note. Uh, with certain developments that had been already set in motion earlier, so like it was, it was, it was an interesting uh, crescendo of sorts, which, which kind of it's leading up to it, leading up, leading up to it, and then it's like, like holy crap, this is how they're ending it. Oh my god, this is fucking amazing! Yeah. Like it's like the thrill ride that just doesn't stop. 
Yeah, and uh, the the way it's kind of left, and I don't think this is a spoiler, but it's uh, I think it kind of leaves it, uh, you know, like uh, okay, you start writing the story now, uh, reader. Very you start writing the story. Very, very much so. Like when Katie's like riding away on that bicycle of hers, which actually, if you think about it, was at the beginning of the novel. That's how Daniel kind of met her was that yep. she was riding on right. So she rides in on her bicycle, and then at the end of the novel, she's riding away on her bicycle, and you know she'll meet up with Daniel later or whatever, and. Let's not say what she said to him right, right, right at the end because that that's kind of don't want to because don't want to give it out of context. But there's a certain thing she says to him, which in context makes sense. And she kind of kisses him as she essentially uh, does her version of work. Uh, she rides away on her bicycle. So uh, there's very much I love the way this whole thing was written. There's very much a kind of a coming of full circle type thing. There's very much, actually, this is kind of a key thing that's been mentioned in many literary circles. The notion of like, uh, I think it's called the hero's journey. There's very much a hero's journey thing going on here, especially with Daniel, the protagonist, where, where you know, he kind of comes out the other side, like I said earlier, and there's very much a development and all that. And I suspect, too, that it's not just with him, but in some ways I even think it is with Katie, which I think is why she's my favorite character, actually, by far. Because yeah. because Daniel because Daniel is supposed to be closer to an everyman because he's like he just finishes graduating college like right at the beginning of the novella and then like this is his first big like living an adult life type of thing making me making all making a dying or living or whatever and and he's like going into this kind of what some people would consider to be an underground scene making his money and all that and. Um, yeah, I also like the scene where they get in trouble with the cops, which was funny. Read the novella for the full details on that one. But yeah, there's a scene where they actually – it's really the only scene, I think, where they actually uh, have any direct contact with the government, I think. I don't think they have any other contact with the government throughout the rest of the novel. It's just like I the one scene so. with the cops. Yeah, it was like the one scene – it was the one traffic stop and then the police – and then the uh, the next scene where they're at the, the uh, police station and then, uh, well – Everything shakes out in a very interesting way, but basically it's like two scenes back to back over the course of like a night. And other than that, there's see, and that's what's very interesting for a a novella that's very and, uh, they, they so uh, it's it you know there's obviously security culture practice, and then they also had uh, an arrest plan. Um, yeah, they, you know, they, was it Denton's uh, Denton's lawyer came and got him out of there, and they didn't face any charges whatsoever. So yeah, it, it's, was, mu it's much like a watching of Wayfaring Men, where whenever the Whenever they, they the people they hire to monitor the, um, I guess the various uh, I guess servers for the uh, the free digital economy, um, they hire they hire people that have no they have no idea what the hell is going on. So whenever whenever it's eventually raided, um, they're arrested and then they have a lawyer that gets them off of everything. Um, so like there's very much an arrest plan and kind of okay you might have to go to jail for a couple of days but we'll get you out of there and uh, we'll set you up with a great life going forward. Um, like that like so it's like there's that that preparation there and it just it really shows. Um, that I think that you know so that is the only real interaction with the bludgies they have, and I think that's because they practice such such good security culture, and yeah. they're they're so prepared for for everything. And if you remember uh, when we were reading different passages, and if you've read it yourself, um, or I guess different excerpts from Second Realm book on strategy, um, that's very much a part of, of of the Second Realm. So it's not a surprise at all. No, yeah, it is. And and so again, like I said, for such a consistent an unusually consistent anti-political work of fiction, it's amazing how little direct contact is there is with the state in the mm -hmm. course of the story. See, most of it 
is not there's like no direct contact with like agents of the state in fact um and, i would mo- say most this. fiction books have to have that for the, yes. for the conflict but they didn't yes. need, he did, the author of this book didn't mm-hmm. need that which is which is makes it even more uh, wonderfully unusual. Right. So let me let me make a comparison here with uh, a better well known example, which of course would be uh, J. Neil Shulman's Alongside Night. Uh, and by the way, for, for purpose of full disclosure, since this is uh, public knowledge and on the record and all that, J. Neil Shulman is a regular reader of mine on my blog. By the way, because he's also commented and he likes my stuff basically, even though I'm technically not an agorist, at least at this juncture, um, I'm, I'm actually more of a of a venu a venuan. Uh, but but it's it's kind of like oh wow it's like a yin and yang thing oh whoop de doo big difference right it's it's more of difference of emphasis um, you know it's kind of like do you want to use counter economics to abolish the state or do you want are you pursuing invulnerability to coercion it's like okay they're both different forms of direct action which are inherently anti political I think we're all on the same side here it's just different ways of of pursuing liberty or whatever um, but yeah like Daniel Schulman's like a regular reader of mine and I've written about alongside night at length i'm very familiar with the story i i think it's it's wonderful for a lot of reasons it really was the very first agorist novel and similarly i think hashtag agora is the very first agorist novella uh so i think there's that that distinction too um i would say one one major difference between the two works of fiction between alongside night and hashtag um, agora which is this and you were alluding to this a minute ago, Shane, is that there is so much direct contact with the government in Alongside Night because, like you said, the need needs it for the story. I mean, the story. I mean, it's it's kind of like it's it's kind of like it's kind of like an American Renaissance of sorts, where things are kind of the story structures are incredibly different between the two. It's not just the length of the story, novel versus novella. It's not just that. It's also... This is subjective anyways, right? Of course. But it's also (laughs) the... Well, we're doing some literary criticism here too, let's be honest. Um, But there's also... And literary... uh, uh, You know, comparative literary analysis, I think, is what the, you know, eggheads at, you know, the intelligentsia, basically, like to call it. Um, But yeah, there's also, like, the nature of the conflict itself uh, between the two stories is very, very different. So, with Alongside Night, it's very um, – I would say it's very external where you have different competing batches of people with very, very different worldviews basically coming into conflict and, and, and at times engaging in violence, um, whether it be self-defense or coercion or whatever version it takes place, that at some point it comes down to violence sooner or later. Um, I mean, there's also some good security culture uh, things that were that were uh, sh- demonstrated in the Alongside Night story. Um, however, I think Hashtag Agora is very different, where the conflict is mostly internal. There's a lot of – I don't want to say psychological horror, but there's very much a lot of – self-reflection going on there's very much a lot of like what do i want out of life how do i want to live my life kind of stuff there's much more an emphasis on lifestyle changes rather than let's use counter economics to abolish the state right and again and again and and in many ways even though hashtag agora is about agorists and it is about agorism and crypto agorism specifically as kind of a subset the emphasis is not so much, even though it is very explicit about this, especially at the beginning and even at the end to some degree, which I don't want to spoil too much, about basically taking out the state. The enf- it's, it's mentioned, it's clearly explicit, but the emphasis is not constantly throughout the story about that like it is in Alongside Night because the purpose of this story is different. Like, okay, if you look at Alongside Night, 
wonderful story, but it's not about lifestyle changes at all. It's about using counter. Right. It's about promoting the idea of using counter economics to abolish the state, which is what Sam Conkin's vision was, and and explicitly explicit mission statement in a new libertarian manifesto and so forth. Right? It's very right. A, a genial showman did that on purpose to uh, make it kind of make it like like make this idiot proof basically, and God bless him for doing so. That's not the point of hashtag Agora. The point of hashtag Agora is more is almost in many ways closer to Vanu. Where it's much more about lifestyle changes, where it's much more about quality of life, where it's much more in a lot of ways actually really pursuing Vanu, that invulnerability to coercion, even though I don't think the authors necessarily intended it that way. Probably I never even heard of Rao or Vanu and all of that kind of stuff. But that's but the emphasis is incredibly different. Which which I liked, and yet and yet you still have your ethical enclave slash counter uh, counter economy. You still have your black and gray markets. Like all that stuff is still very much in hashtag agora, but it's very self reflective. It's very introspective. It's about hell, uh, and we'll we'll get to this shortly. But there's even issues of like romance, dating, and sex, sexuality that are at play. Let me be clear about something. In a long side night. Again, God bless Daniel Schulman, but it does not. Alongside Night does not really get into romance, dating, and sexuality, other than as like a minor subplot to explain the relationship between uh, the protagonist and like another major character that happens like what is it a third to halfway through or something like that, and and that's fine, but again, it's more like kind of just trying to explain something as it happens with the story. Um, it's not like a major focus. It just isn't in hashtag Agora. It is a major focus. It takes up a lot, actually quite a bit of ink on the page. And actually this is a part of the story we haven't gotten to yet, which we're about to hear shortly. Um, but I, but that, that's what I'm saying. So both of these fictional stories about agorists are targeting are it's not issues of just length novel versus novella. It's also the emphasis, the subject matter, what gets emphasized, what gets de-emphasized, whether we're talking more about revolutionarily taking on the state or doing more self-reflective like lifestyle change type stuff. I mean, whatever it is, I mean, it's all good stuff, but do keep in mind we're catering, you know, the stories are catering to different things, to people's different interests. You know, it's it's a market selection, shall we say. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. I definitely agree. So um, I think there were some quotes that you wanted to read. Uh, there was, an, I guess, another point of discussion you wanted to bring up, and and this is similar to uh, similar to a long or uh, similar to a lodging away for men, right? Uh, where in that book, there's uh, you know discussion on spirituality, religion. Well, I guess actually, let me let me back up. There's there is discussion on that in lodging away for men, but that's not relevant here for hashtag Agora. But there's talk about uh, in lodging Way- wayfaring men about kind of uh, you know marriage and sexuality. Um, there's also a focus of that in hashtag Agora too, and I think that was one of your uh, one of your I guess one of your uh, one of the points you wanted to bring up for this episode. Yes, yes, I did. Uh, so let's talk about my favorite character, who's Katie. Now, Katie, as was mentioned earlier, that that quote I read was when she was trying to explain the the economic reality behind people's uh, value uh, valuation of why they would rather pay for the service of the modified laptops of the privacy enhancing technology of whatever the hell rather than, as she put it, like taking an hour and downloading Linux and, and, and other software and such. So that's Katie. Um, and so, you know, if it was just kind of left there, 
uh, you would think like, okay, she might be an interesting lady, maybe a little bit of an economics geek, but not much else going on there, right? Wrong. She is incredibly complex. And just she's I mean, she's insightful, adroit and as and she's rather quite charming, frankly, like like literally. I mean, I mean, seriously, I mean, if, if this was a real woman, um, I'd at least ask her out for a drink, maybe more if she was interested. Seriously, folks, like like I really like this character, like she's really wonderful. Um, I, I mean, she seems real. I mean, like, I don't have this kind of reaction to fiction, but like this, this, this lady is like really wonderful. Um, so, uh, <laughs> that being said, uh, yeah, all gushing aside, let's start with one of the quotes. Um, so basically through the first part of the novella, Daniel is attracted to Katie eventually or technically right away, but they kind of like string it out a bit, which is fine. Um, and but you kind of get the idea that it's kind of like one sided, mainly from him, because, again, we're seeing this from his perspective. So, of course, but then you kind of find out mm, she's kind of into him, too. And that's when things get very interesting, because if it was just like one sided, unrequited, like horniness on his part, like who would give a shit? Right. Like he's a young, like 20 something college, just graduated, you know, college or whatever. Right. College grad. So, like, you know, who gives a shit about him? Right. She's interesting, though. So that being said, at one point when it's obvious when she's basically like, "Okay, yes, I'm interested in you, Daniel," is basically more or less how she puts it. Um, she then kind of tries to use that well, same economics reasoning, the the catalactics and and Austrian. Uh, actually, more specifically, what she does is she takes the Austrian subjective theory of value and she applies it to dating and romance and even sexuality. So that's where this is going. So let's look at the first quote. So the context of this is that she's trying to explain to Daniel, like, what the nature of their relationship is at this point. Okay. So she says, quote, this is a market process, Daniel. We're both individuals looking at the market to meet our needs. Your need is to fuck a girl you think is hot. My need is to get fucked by a guy I think is hot. I'd say we can agree that there is a baseline we can work with. You're obviously hot for me, and I like you too. What needs to happen now is that we find a deal we both agree on. If we don't, we have to satisfy our needs elsewhere or leave them unsatisfied. Close quote. That took my breath away. And it's not just the... Um, it's it's not just the plain sensuality at play, obviously. I mean, that that's kind of the obvious stuff. The more subtle thing going on here is that she's trying to explain, like, how sexual desire works. But, like, how you would explain, like, like, I could, like, like trading and such. I mean, kind of like how Ayn Rand would mention either in Atlas Shrugged or even in the nonfiction, like, objectivist literature. Ayn Rand was always trying to explain, like, how uh, romance, even love is 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 pretty much a two-way street like you're exchanging value for value and there doesn't need to be money involved i mean there can be money involved if like you're talking like about something like prostitution but that's just a straight market transaction that's not you know prostitution is not the same thing as romance can we be clear about that because some people kind of get the two, yeah. some people get the two confused hell some people have even think that the mixture of prostitution and romance is something called marriage <laughs> <laughs> hey some people think, i guess i guess in a way maybe <laughs> some people some people think like that and you know what some of them may not be entirely wrong especially when you look at some of those divorce settlements 
you know, yeah. I'm just saying, you know, like, I mean, I mean, there are people who really are just like that. Uh, most of them are the mainstream servile society, you know, first realm, uh, you know, controlled schizophrenic junkheads. So that being said, I think Katie's explanation about how you can basically take the Austrian subjective theory of value and apply it to dating where it's like it's like, you know, you're exchanging value for value, except, of course, we're talking about romance dating even sexuality is actually rather quite amazing and it's simple it's to the point and it it kind of it's it's also you know Shane I've mentioned before that I think one of the greatest evils of our time is is economic illiteracy because I personally kind of can think that if people were just more economically literate even if they were still decided socialism was great because they hate their fellow humans and thus they want to hurt them through socialism or something at least they understand why um, that being said, I think a lot of people wouldn't be authoritarians of any stripe, commie, fascist, something else, um, if they actually understood how like markets worked. Because once you understand that kind of baseline, you can then start applying it to other things where money isn't necessarily involved. It can either take the form of mutual aid or even just other things. And one of those other things would be something like romance. Yeah. So, and so, yes, I, I mentioned marriage a, a minute ago. Oh, this next quote is lovely. And this is probably the quote that's probably going to piss off just about everybody, for diff but for different reasons. So let's get to it. The context for this quote is much later in the novel, after they've slept with each other, multiple times one of which was rather quite explicit and looks reads like something more out of like a piece of erotica. So there's no imagination left to the, to the reader at all. And I won't read that here, but basically at one point, Daniel's considering asking her to marry him uh, because he's just that into her. And it's not just, you know, being crazed with, you know, satisfying his lust or whatever and vice versa. He actually does genuinely care about her. Yeah, definitely. Without a doubt. Yeah. However, and I do need to explain this in context. They were they actually went to like uh, a I guess you could say like an underground party of sorts. And um, there was also a little bit of a lead up to this. I don't, I don't want to give too much away, but I'll say this because it needs to be mentioned because of the context of the quote uh, during this party. Uh, <laughs> she f Katie finds out that Daniel is kind of attracted to other women, not just her her but his attraction to other women is just strictly more based on aesthetic like he he loves her but he's also attracted to other women just more sexually so it's almost it's not quite like a polyamorous thing it's more that shall we say he has a wide range of tastes and that being the case um she's trying to kind of reconcile this and kind of make sense of this and all that and obviously they have this long drawn and later after the party they have this long drawn out talk like like as in the context of honey we need to talk kind of talk um where basically they they kind of come to terms with the fact that he is attracted to blonde she katie's not a blonde and the aesthetics involved here was that daniel is very much attracted to blondes he's also attracted to blondes who are shall we say well endowed with bosoms uh with with you know uh Let's just say they're not A cups and leave it at that, okay? Um, and I have to say that because it's relevant to the story and it's relevant to this quote I'm about to read. So 
that's kind of the lead up and, and the setup to this quote where basically they've they've now had the talk and he's asking her to marry him or or it happened a little bit earlier. Basically, this is all kind of happening pretty much at the same time. And then she said, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think they were just talk like just talking about it, um, <laughs> you know, just just kind of, you know, discussing. Yeah. And, and he does yeah. care about her. But that's that's not the point. It's that she's kind of re- trying to reconcile like his his, att- his attraction to other women versus his genuine love for her specifically and then there's the marriage question on top of it and so this is what katie says in response this is her putting her foot down kind of thing and i love this so much there's so much good stuff in here it's not very long but here's the quote this is katie talking quote listen to me daniel LaRusso. i will never marry you i repeat never because i love you Marriage is effectively a legal monopoly on another person's love. If we get married, we won't have as big an incentive to fulfill each other's desires and needs because we don't have to. The other person can't just leave or take a better offer. Incentives work no matter how hard you try to ignore them. I would get fat and puffy and I'd stop shaving my pussy. You'd fart in bed and not shave and leave your dirty socks on the floor. Besides, what would I do with my legal monopoly on your cock? Sue you every time you're hot for a blonde with a rack? How's that going to stop your attraction to blondes? End quote. Again, folks, this is why this episode is NSFW. That being said, I think there's a lot of important things going on there, Shane. So, Especially that first half. I mean, it's, it's, that's, that's true. That's kind of what, uh, what Paul Rosenberg and I discussed was that. And that's what he kind of talked about in Lodging Wayf- with Wayfaring Men, too, at least to a certain extent. Well, I mean, basically what... what Katie here is kind of explaining is is the more like hardcore consistent like free love position right where yeah. basically yeah. marriage is it's not so much like like the more moderate position where it's just like like another type of contract that unfortunately the state has kind of tried to to turn into like some sort of license where you're asking them for permission to like do stuff that you were doing before with your lover right thing um this is the more hardcore position where you're where the, the 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 free love advocates are essentially viewing marriage as just a de facto monopoly um and therefore if it if marriage is actually a monopoly even even in the context of a contract therefore it takes on all the nasty effects of a monopoly like it would in any other context of the free market and and therefore there's all sorts of like bad consequences from there and so forth. And therefore, when eventually you get around to issues of separation, divorce, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, of course, it, all that kind of stuff is more of a fait accompli because the foundation for it was already it was already bad from the beginning. Or to kind of uh, paraphrase something uh, Friedrich Hayek said uh, regarding something else completely different, um, you know, actually regarding the boom and bust cycle. You know, you shouldn't worry about the bus. You should worry about the boom of the boom and bus cycle because that's what sows the seeds for its future destruction, so to speak, especially when you're talking about central banking and such. It's, it's kind of something similar here. So the, if, if you're viewing marriage kind of like the equivalent of the boom part of the boom bus cycle and a divorce being, of course, being the bust, you shouldn't be worried. The free love position here is essentially you shouldn't worry about the equivalent of the bust, the divorce. You should be more worried about the marriage of the boom part because it's sowing its seeds, sowing the seeds for, for its future destruction by the fact you're even engaging in this legal monopoly at all. 
Mm-hmm. Is is why is then why you have like awful things like this? What it, what was a lot, latest statistic that came out a couple of years ago? Something about like half of all marriages end in divorce or some damn thing that nobody ever cites. Yeah, actually, uh, actually did a paper on it uh, in high level indoctrination. Yeah, it's about fifty percent. Yeah, yeah. One out one out of every two marriages. It's so common. Right, and so if if that's the case, if it really is this kind of ratio, then there's then there's then there's a big fucking problem with the way that marriage is conducted in in society. If it fails fifty percent of the time, if we're talking about any other you know, if if fifty percent of nuclear power plant power plants fail, <laughs> I think we would you know address the issue and say, huh, you know, may, maybe maybe something is a little off here. Uh, but you know, I guess with 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 marriage and with 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 sex, you know, those are those are subjects you don't discuss in polite society. And uh, uh, you know, I, I I do I do agree with that at least to a certain extent, right? You know, it's 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 behind closed doors, right? You know, it's it's private. Uh, but then again, why the fuck is the state issuing licenses? Um, so I mean, I guess I yeah. guess, I guess that's maybe I guess maybe that's one one element of it, which is more kind of the sociocultural prudishness of it all. And I'm not ignoring that. I think there's something else going on here too, where there's kind of this implication that if you don't play ball then you're pretty much like giving up like these it's this argument about like um marriage as a legal protection it's almost it's kind of like almost like a bastardized view of like what legal interstices are so it's kind of like well what if marriage was like an interstice and it's like no 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 you're viewing it, it like it a shield it does it doesn't even really make you more invulnerable to coercion it no. just it just allows you to get benefits from the state like tax cuts and things right. i mean there's no there's no actual real protection and 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 in some sense it makes you more vulnerable to coercion right because who's going to arbitrate on that contract if there's ever a dispute well uh it's going to be the monopolistic courts uh, so I, I think it's it's bad for you know a whole slew of reasons. Right, and 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 maybe this would be more appropriate for maybe a different LUA episode or, or or something else. But maybe we should get into like the whole marriage issues and how that is, you know impacts issues of freedom and liberty and all that, at least in this country or whatever. But I will just say right. this: this isn't this isn't volunteer. My bad. Whoops. <laughs> well, or 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 on, or on TVP or what have you, but. I, what I will say here is that Katie's position regarding uh, what uh, regarding her attitude towards Daniel about I will never marry you because I love you is that is very much the typical hardcore consistent free love position, which basically yeah and, and if we're if we're if we're talking about second realms too yeah um, relationships in the second realm between second realmers there will be no marriage license that's an aspect of the first realm so yeah I think this is more relevant than. Um, then some may actually realize. Yeah, and and again, I, and again, I mean, maybe if we can get around to maybe doing an episode or even two or maybe a short miniseries or three part, whatever, on on maybe free love, maybe we need to do that at some point because there's a lot of things kind of going on there. I mean, you have like the more moderate free love advocates, which are more like me, where it's where it's more the the view is more like marriage is a contract and because it's a contract why is the state trying to butt its way in with its licensure kind of thing because it's in other words it's not the marriage it's the licensure which is the more moderate position and then you have the more hardcore free love people who are like well yes the licensure is bad but it's also the even marriage as a contract is bad because there's also all these other socio-cultural like say non-political elements of it that people have weird feelings about or whatever therefore don't even do marriage not even as a contract because you're you're already stepping into a quagmire and i think both are worth examining because i think both perspective both free love perspectives are valuable because it gets people outside the little box of i must get a fucking license in order to like have a life with like the lover I want to have, like you know whether whether it's for a lifetime or 
for a long-term kind of partner or whatever the context is. I think, I think both perspectives are good for kind of getting people out of the little tiny box reality of I must get a license because I think, I think that that's, that's pretty much the commonality of what we're kind of opposed to here is the state. And that is truly an anti-political position, by the way, is the, is the assumption where, and I love these fucking people. It's like the anarchist politician thing. I love these fucking people who are like, we're all about like the cause for liberty, but goddamn it, if you get you get married, you better get a license, dude, because it's a legal protection. And see, that's the worst part. And and here's the worst part, Shane. And I don't mean to insult anybody in particular here or any particular types of groups or even individuals who sincerely hold this position. But I have never, ever seen one good argument in favor of the position that says that marriage is a uh, like a legal she- can we call it a legal shield because it's not an interstice because there's no loopholes here no so it's no. it's more like well you should get a marriage license when you get married because mar- the license is a shield it's a the marriage li- basically the position is the marriage license is a legal shield and it's like, okay, so what are we talking about here? We're talking about tax breaks. We're talking about hospital visits. We're talking about health insurance. Yes, well, that that's kind of t- tied in with the hospital visits. But yeah, that that that's that too. I guess maybe um, if we're talking about like last will and testaments, uh, kind of trying to avoid probate court. Sure. Um, I guess there's that. Um, but you know what? Here was my counterposition. And, and th- those are the arguments I've heard, and they sound convincing, and perhaps they are. And maybe they're right. I would like to think they're wrong because my counterpoint to that over the years has always been, well, marriage is a contract. Remember, I'm the more moderate guy. Marriage is a contract. It's a private contract. Therefore, the state doesn't have any business involved in that except – and even the minarchists should be with me on this one – Except only to the degree as it, as it comes to issues of like contract enforcement. So if you – I mean for example, look at like the LGBT people, OK? Before the Obergefell case, I have actually learned a lot from those folks about how to get around the whole licensure issue. So if, for example, they needed uh, to do hospital visits, uh, let's say um, Adam and Steve, uh, let's say Steve came down with tuberculosis and Adam wants to go visit Steve in the hospital, but they won't let him do it because they're not married, quote unquote, or whatever. Uh, uh, It's like, okay, well, if Steve had listed Adam as his medical proxy, this is all a moot point. He can get access to the hospital for the most part. Right. Or if they or if they would just would have gotten a power of attorney or something like that. Um, I mean, the, you you can solve a lot of these issues without getting the, the the license. Now, as far as tax breaks, maybe not. But uh, then again, why would second realmers or anarchists want to you know beg the state for permission for anything? Um, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Or or to kind of go with another kind of somewhat similar example. Why why why, why would they negotiate with their with their uh, with their slaveholders? I guess would be another way to put it. Well, yeah, and so let's let's say you also had another you know couple. Let's let's call them like Eve and Danielle, uh, and let's say Eve kicks the bucket because they had like a May December type lesbian relationship or something. Okay, uh, Eve kicks the bucket, and Danielle is about to lose the house, and they were t- technically didn't get a license because they just had a life together for say oh shit, let's say twenty years. Um, and then, and then it's like, okay, what's, what's going to happen with the house? Because Danielle needs a place to live and she doesn't want to get an apartment, yada, yada. Um, okay. Well, if Eve had a last will and testament naming Danielle as the, uh, as her chief and only beneficiary to her estate, which includes the house, can that just kind of hop, skip, jump over probate court and serve the same function that the alleged marriage license would, would, would purportedly have done? 
Yep. <laughs> I, I would say so, yeah. So unless I'm missing something here. Now, I will say one thing. I will say one thing because there's a good friend of mine who did offer an interesting rebuttal that I haven't yet come up with a rebuttal in turn, which was, okay, so if you want to kind of, as an alternative, not have a marriage license, but instead have a series of contracts, and I said, yes, that is my position, is a series of contracts that fulfills the same uh, things that you want a marriage license to do for the most part. Okay, you instead have a series of contracts, well, for, that kind of sounds kind of complicated because it's like multiple contracts, so can you like boil it down to like a one-stop shopping type of tool, legal tool, legal remedy, like one thing? So it's like very simple to use and you can use it for like all of that stuff. And I'm like, oh, shit. OK, let me get back to you on that. <laughs> and so that's kind of where I'm at right now. That That's a little side project of mine, by the way. <laughs> I know I don't, mm-hmm. I don't mean to go too off topic here because we're we're because tonight's episode is about the hashtag Agora novella. But um, but yeah, the, the position of like free love of not getting a marriage license with somebody that you actually do want to spend either your entire life with or at least long term with. Uh, where it's you know marriage or or marriage like similar to marriage in in the con- in the in the conventional mainstream sense and so forth, um, and of course this is all assuming uh, as a side note this is all assuming this is all monogamous right I and mean, if we're going to get into polyamory that's got to like its own <laughs> separate thing almost <laughs> in some sense right um, but but yeah man I mean seriously I I think there's I think when it comes to issues of free love marriage dating romance sexuality even. Things can get very com- – uh, mm, I shouldn't say complex. Convoluted. There we go. Let's go with that word. Things can get very convoluted very quickly unless you actually stay very, very focused because, well, let's be honest about something. We're talking about people's feelings here, and I don't mean feelings in the in the sense of like uh, snowflake feelings or SJW feelings. I'm talking about people's real feelings here. Uh, because this is, this is, this is get we're, we're now hitting like home and hearth time stuff. We're talking about what creates families. We're talking about where children come from kind of thing if we're talking about heterosexuals. Uh, so, yeah, people are going to have very strong feelings about this kind of stuff one way or another. And so right. in some sense, it's kind of hard to talk about this kind of subject matter, even if we're not talking about sexuality specifically. But even the more dating, romance, marriage type topics, it's very hard to even talk about even that kind of thing without – People on – at the risk of sounding like El Presidente, with people on all sides uh, getting very, shall we say, worked up and uh, in, in, in very emotional uh, one way or another. And so, look, what I'm interested in more is like what are the markets – what are like the market solutions to the marriage licensure issue because I do view it as a problem because it's not right what the state has done. In fact, for those people who don't know, marriage licensure – was originally enacted by various American governments as a form of essentially discouraging what the state itself called uh, misignation. And for people who don't understand what that is, misignation was, of course, the practice of people of different colored skins marrying each other, uh, especially when it came to reproducing children and such. So, yeah, so it was straight up racist genuinely prove that provable form of bigotry a genuinely racist thing was actually what marriage licensure is ironically much like the fucking gun control laws which were also mm-hmm. just as equally racist aimed towards not just people who were enslaved but even the free like free black men in particular 
I mean, it's just like, okay, so like I'm like a free Negro, but I can't have guns because the state said so. What the shit is going on here? So yeah, oh, the government's racist. Oh, I oh, okay, so I can't have guns and I can't marry people with different skin color. Oh, this is this is freedom. Oh yeah. Me I don't know, maybe I should go to France. I mean, yeah, they're a bunch of bloodthirsty animals, at least the Jacobins are, but at least they're not gonna fucking be racist towards me. At least that's better, maybe? <laughs> I don't know. I don't speak French. So I yeah. mean I mean it's about that bad, especially if you were one of those kind of people living at living at that time. But yeah, man, when it comes to uh, marriage licensure, like you would think that the commies, socialists, so-called progressives, lefties in general would be kind of against racism because they claim to be. But then they talk about marriage equality all day, which, of course, requires the licensure. Right. The whole point of the Obersfeld case in particular was expanding the enjoyment, the eligibility to even get the license to homosexuals. That was the whole point right, of the whole right. goddamn thing. So it's like, oh, now we can have more individuals, uh, citizens of our great you know, democratic republics being eligible to ask the state for permission for shit that they were already doing with their lovers and such. And it's just fucking insulting. I mean, it's insulting yeah. to homosexuals. It's insulting to heterosexuals. It's just insulting just to pretty much anybody who cares about freedom in any context. And so, sorry, getting back to the novel novella, wh- that's pretty much in a nutshell what Katie's kind of getting at here when she tells Daniel, I will never marry you because I love you, is that she's very succinctly, as opposed to me rambling on here, trying to give some some ba- back background here, she's very succinctly try- basically saying all the stuff I just said about why marriage licensure is essentially a legal monopoly. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's that's definitely true. That's definitely true. So... Um, I think that's the last quote. There was one. There's one other quote, but we should have started with if we were going to go with it. It was the uh, the one describing the first and second realm. We've already read probably two or three times in the series so far, so I want to move past it. But uh, that's that's basically all the quotes I want to you know lay out in, or I guess quotes and discussion points I want to lay out for for uh, for this I guess overview episode of hashtag Agora. And uh, so I don't want to spoil it too much. It's just a really terrific story, and uh, I think that 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 w- that should be enough to convince people if they haven't already to uh, to read the book to, to read the damn book. So. I guess conclusionary points on the second realm more generally. Now, <clears throat> I guess for me, I I I just really hope that this series, um, you know, first off, convince you of the efficacy of this of, of this freedom strategy of building second realms as a as a means of of increasing personal freedom, and uh, and two, um, I hope that uh, and and beyond just finding it efficacious, I, I hope that you start building these. I want I want this to be motivating. We've already talked about the next steps, um, you know, at things that you can do right now to help build these second realms. We we've talked about how you can go ahead and join digital second realms right now, like going to the Anaplex our Deep Web IRC chat and talking to people. Um, I just really hope that uh, you know all that we've said in this series. Um, you know, I I, I want to see some second realms. That's kind of the point here. Well, me too. I mean, there there need to be options. I want to see more more second realms, rather. Yeah, I mean, there 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 need to be options available for people. And so, yeah, kind of the idea behind building the second realm is to well build the second realm, and you have to start somewhere. And so, like the idea behind this podcast series, correct me if I'm uh, wrong, Shane, was to kind of provide a starting point. So it's kind of up to you listeners to kind of, you know, pick up the ball and run with it, to carry the torch, to, you know, make up your own adage here. 
but kind of carry it forward because like there's other topics, there's other things that Shane and or I would like to kind of get to that do not involve the second realm. Um, but and, this, and how much, how much, how, I mean, I'm sure there's more we could say, but would it really be that, you know, really valuable and really worthwhile? I think we've covered everything we need to cover and more, um, in this series. And obviously, as I said, as I said, we're, we're going to, to we're going to talk about the subject more, you know, in the future, but, um, probably in the context of other freedom strategies. So, so yeah, I, I think you're, you're, you're exactly right. We're, we're kind of, uh, just as, uh, with second round book on strategy, smuggler and XYZ kind of leave it to, leave it to, to the reader. Uh, okay, here's some things you can do. Uh, now go build them. Uh, that's kind of, uh, I guess, our task here at the end of this series, right? Uh, you know, uh, we, we've we've laid out the information, we've explained it to you. We we all we uh, if you had any questions, we would have been more than happy to answer them in a Q and A. We hell, we, we we probably would in the future too, or we we definitely would in the future too. But um, yeah, I guess it, it's time to uh, it's time to start building them. That's that's kind of what it, what, uh, what 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 it, what it's getting to. We, we've provided you with the information. We've uh, you know walked you through various aspects of it. We've uh, I think we've done pretty much all that we can do. Um, at least uh, as of right now, unless uh, the 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 biggest thing I guess the when, when, when I'll be talking about second realms uh, again a lot is when I uh, when I uh, hit the roads of Van Nomad because then I'll help I'll be in second realms consistently, so I'll, I'll have a much better idea. Well, yeah, and but again, the build the whole building the second realm series we we've done here on Liberty Under Attack Radio is is really just how do I put this? It's it's more of a starting point, right? And I think this is what the sixteenth and concluding episode. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yep, sixteen episodes. It started uh, mid December, I think. Right. So this is uh, so I mean a five month series for this, a six month series for uh, the, the direct action series. So, um, yeah, just just as a comparison, yeah, this is uh, I, I, I might even believe more strongly about like in the efficacy of the second realm than I than just direct action more generally. Even though a lot of direct action takes place in second realms, um, I, I, I just I, I really think you know from from my own personal opinion, which is why I'm making the lifestyle change that I am. Um, I think second realms are the are the path going forward, at least for at least for the the, the most radical folks, right? Y- yeah. I, I, I just kind of would say this. Um, one more scene, and I won't quote anything. I'll just mention this in passing. It was actually in the earlier part of the novella, and it's not spoiling too much of the, of the plot line. But uh, Katie takes Daniel to – this is before they're sleeping together. Um, Katie takes Daniel to, like, a meeting of, like, political crusaders. Yeah, menarchists, yeah, yeah. Oh, God, I love that scene so much. Yeah. Um, it was, and, and Katie's just like fucking making fun of him. And it's like, okay, I already like this girl. <laughs> like, dude, I already like this girl plenty. And this is even before we get into like the really fun, like economics and sexuality type stuff. Cause that happened way later in the novella. This is just the early part of it. This is like one of the very first scenes. Okay. And like, I like, I'm, I'm already <laughs> mocking fa- political crusaders to their faces. Oh, it was, yeah, it was awesome. Oh my God. Like I'm already falling in love with her already. And we haven't even gotten the fun stuff yet. Like, I mean, this is like, that's how good this novella is. It starts off really strong and gets so much better and hotter. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it just gets so much better from, from that point onward. And it ends on such a good high note too. I mean, it's just good, 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 great, great, great. Awesome. 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 Holy crap. Epic. Pretty much is how it ends. So, I mean, I, I can't, can't praise this novella uh you know uh, i can't praise it highly enough really um because because i mean it's just kind of wonderful oh oh okay okay hold on i do want to give a little bit of a spoiler and it's not too much of a spoiler it's more of a speculation of mine for those of you who read janiel shulman's alongside night which we mentioned earlier 
there's the revolutionary agorist cadre, which was, of course, the, the, the main agorists who were like leading the revolution, so to speak. I kind of get the impression that if hashtag Agora and Alongside Night took place in the same fictional universe, so to speak, if there were a timeline of events, my suspicion is that hashtag Agora would probably be like a prequel because of how the ending ends that I don't want to spoil too much. Hmm. Yes, because I do think Alongside Night happens at, if they are in the same fictional universe, which I don't think necessarily they are, but if they were, because of the ending of Hashtag Agora, in, in a lot of ways sets the stage for Alongside Night. In some way, yeah, I, I can see that. Uh, that ending, I think, very strongly implies it. Or at the very least, because I read Alongside Night first and then I read Hashtag Agora, maybe it was my mind being very creative trying to see. It's almost like the Pixar theory, right? Where you try to take like all the all the, all the the like the animated kids movies by Pixar Studios and try to fit them in the same fictional universe because it would be so much fun <laughs> if it followed like the same. If it was like if, if all these different movies like were, were all taking place like one rat for the other or whatever even if they span centuries or whatever. Uh, it's almost kind of like this. Like, in my mind, I want to make these fictional by different authors, like, fit in the same thing. You know, I, I think, like, Harry Potter fans do the same thing with, with other things or whatever. Um, again, this is this is part of the fun of fiction, folks, is being creative with stuff like this. Uh, especially, fa- I think it's called fandom or some such thing, like 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 the, uh, like the otakus, the big fans of anime and manga and all that kind of stuff. Uh, same thing here, you know, with Agoras literature of, of which, of which there's still less than a handful, you know, I'm trying to like make all, all the stories fit into the same universe. Like, like if they both happen, like, like in the same, whatever, you know, what would be the series of events? And I would say that hashtag Agora would probably take place for, uh, alongside night, because when you look at the end of alongside night, it's a completely different world. It's completely different. I mean, like, right. and, and not to spoil that story too much either, but basically the federal government falls apart completely, but it's a good falling apart. It's a good thing it happens. Uh, with hashtag Agora, the state is still around, but it doesn't really matter because things are in motion and things are like way better than even the beginning. Uh, so it's kind of like, it's kind of like the ramp up. And and it ends on such a good note that I can't I, just just go read it already. Just just go read it. And we get, need to get that audiobook made at some point. <laughs> Yeah, it'd be a fun project. It would be a really, really fun project, and it uh, overlapped nicely with what I've been doing on Upwork for for some freelancing. So, well, I would also say this too: like, 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 there's more than one way to kind of help build the second realm, right? Everyone has their own skills and attributes, and and so forth. You know, the tech guys can do all their twenty million different contributions, and other people can do other things. I guess, I guess, your and my contributions wouldn't be just. The building the second realm 16 part series here in LA way I think it would also be probably put probably putting together the audio book or at least getting the ball rolling or at least putting out the casting call such as what we're doing tonight putting out the casting call for the audiobook version of hashtag Agora because it is quite possible that the very best single point of fictional uh, advertisement or fictional work as a form of advertisement, kind of like how along, kind of like how Atlas Shrugged was kind of like an advertisement for objectivism. Uh, similarly, I wouldn't be surprised if hashtag Agora wouldn't be the single point, uh, single advertising point, the thing that really grabs people's attention and kind of introduces them to the second realm. Because without yeah, hashtag Agora, they never would 100%. have heard of it. Uh huh. And then from there, they get into the more nonfiction stuff, like oh wait, there's an IRL of this. 
this is actually a real thing. This was just a fictionalized portrayal of it. But otherwise, there are really people that do things like use smartphones to like unlock doors remotely after they pay for like renting a room through bit, you know, using Bitcoin or another cryptocurrency or something like this is a real thing. Yes. Libra, yeah. like Libra Office is a real thing. Open VPN is a real thing. Multi-op VPN tunnels are a real thing. Yeah, everything exists that they're talking about today. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I, I think it's uh, it's not science. Yeah, as I as I as I as I, as I said, I, I I sat down and read this book in one evening. Um, and, and I think uh, as soon as you start reading, especially if you're a crypto anarchist uh, or just an anarchist, uh, Goris Vanuin, once you start reading, I mean, it's it's not often you see uh. You know this radical ideology, this radical philosophy represented in fiction, uh, and 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 done so in such a fantastic manner. So um, I I highly highly recommend it. But Kyle, any final closing thoughts before I take us out? I would say that regarding the second realm, it's it's really you know Rome wasn't built in a day, and neither will the second realm be built in a day either. It's kind of like put one foot in front of the other, put down one brick uh, on you know one well, layer. Well, yeah, you, you, so you, you consider the the historical aspect of it too. I mean, it went from uh, you know Rayo to Konkin to uh, Hakim Bey to Paul Rosenberg and the other crypto anarchists of the you know the, I guess the 90s and the 2000s, the the, the uh, cypherpunks, and uh, then it built into the second realmers at Anarplex. And uh, now the Venuans are coming back, thankfully. And um, yeah, because, or yeah, 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 because of us, though. I mean, yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean, not not to toot our own horn too much, but let's be honest here. I mean, you and I have been kind of going the history of these different um, uh, direct action strategies of one flavor or another, and then there's us. Like, if you think about it, Shane, I don't think there's anybody been quite like you and I, frankly, up until this point. I mean, I think maybe there's been some people who have tried to use podcasting as a way of trying to help build something in in some sense, but I don't think it's ever been quite as comprehensive as what you and I have been kind of doing, whether it's LUA or even TVP more specifically. Like, I think we're genuinely doing something different here, and we'll see in the fullness of time whether it pans out or not. But the fact we're making the effort is really kind of amazing because it, things did not have to go this way. Things could have been a lot different or even worse. Um, but I'm I'm pretty happy that things have gone along as well as they have, and I'd like to think they would continue to do so. So I think yeah. I mean let's not underscore our own importance here. I mean Shane, I think there I think you've told me too, both on previous episodes as well as in private conversation about like like people's lives we've changed. Yeah, yeah, and I actually just got told a couple days ago that um, someone someone said they just got through season one of the of the podcast, and they said it's uh, inspiring and motivating and. Um, they're going to continue listening and they're going to start taking action. So, um, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's been, you know, it's been really, really incredible. And there's another big piece of news that might, that will hopefully come in the next week or so, um, that might, um, Regardless, I'll, I'll, I'll reveal that when it when it happens. I'll reveal that right. when it happens, if it happens. And, but. and just as a disclaimer, this is not a sort of uh, you know backdoor collective movementism. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about history here. People making decisions about doing things, or as is the case of what Shane and I usually do, promoting things that that we think are efficacious or, or have proven themselves to be efficacious, but they just don't get they just don't get a lot of airtime for whatever reason because they're unpopular, because it's not political crusading, because because not sensational or as millennials are known to say because reasons 
okay, because reasons. And so I, I think, Shane, a lot of what you and I have to offer the free market is that we're bringing in a lot of original material, a lot of – and even, yes, yeah, some old stuff – like assassination markets, assassination politics, that's technically an old thing from the 90s. You know, Vanu is something from, you know, the 60s, 60s. and 70s. Uh, agorism was arguably more 80s uh, or 70s and 80s. And it's it's so in, in, in some ways, this isn't anything necessarily new, at least with some of these things. But then there's other things which are new and which are different. And so it's kind of this potpourri where we're kind of trying – and, of course, the Freeman role of direct actions, of course, was very unique and still is. Uh, Canceling the voter registration thing was a legal interstice actually what we were kind of exploiting and such, legal remedy. Uh, and, and of course, and, and you, you know, you kind of picked up where, where, what I was, what I kind of did. And then you ran with it, you know, looking, not just replicating in Illinois, what I did in Texas, but then you went and looked up like, what was it? The, the, the other state laws and like what? 39 other state Thir- governments or 39 something. 39 out of 50 states. Yeah. 39, I mean, and, and I actually, and I actually get what well, you probably one or two emails a month from status asking with, for help in canceling the bread. <laughs> <So, laughs> I mean, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, it's, 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 it's working for, uh, you know, status and non-status. So. Yeah, exactly. And, and so what I'm trying to kind of say here is we kind of close out this building the second realm series is that, I mean, thus far, Shane, I mean, this journey you and I have kind of we started separately. Yes. And, and we're kind of walking it now and so forth. And, and yeah, we still do things kind of three years. Yeah, I know, man. And and I guess in some ways you are my protege. I, I guess that would be fair to say as a and there would also be a certain individual who should not be named here, who was my mentor that you're familiar with. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's really been kind of wonderful to kind of walk this journey with you, um, frankly, because my life did not have to turn out like this. My life could have been a lot, lot worse. I could have been in prison. I could have been killed, um, or just, you're even just dirt poor or homeless even, cause that was a very real possibility for me at one point. And considering everything that has happened, even admits struggles, even admits, um, I mean, let me just be perfectly frank with, with, with the audience here as well as you, because I mean, I've talked with you about this in private conversation. I'll mention it now. I mean, there've been times where I kind of let things slip, man. And I kind of let you down and I still feel bad about that. Um, but I'm getting better about that. At least I like to think I am. And, Definitely. and now all this time later, we're still trucking on. Like, think about it. We, j- with this episode, we have now finished building the building, the second realm series, 16 episodes in. And it's kind of amazing. Like in a sense, we've kind of done it again, right? Like with the direct action series or some other things. <sighs> yeah. And yeah. obviously, you know, the Vanu podcast is now in its third season, third season. Cause we already finished the first two, right? 15 months in. Yeah. And, uh, you know, both both of the Jasons have, uh, have have also helped us out with with that kind of stuff too. Especially when I, especially when I was being kind of uh, lackadaisical or falling behind or whatever, and they came in to pick up the slack too. So I want to recognize their contributions as well, um, because they were kind of the go- kind of uh, godsends. Well, Jason Paradise and Jason Booth. So and 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 that all being said, man, I mean, think about everything that's been accomplished thus far. And of course, in a lot of ways, you're the nexus for for quite a bit of it. I mean, you're doing a lot of the technical work and and other things that um, that I just don't have the time or even capability to do. And so, like without you, man, a lot of this stuff would not have happened. So I just want to thank you for everything, man. Wow, I didn't expect that. Well, I wow, figured well, it, I, 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 well, I, I I appreciate it, obviously, and and, and you you've poured a, a lot of uh, a lot of a heart and soul into it too. 
Um, so, you know, I, I definitely appreciate uh, all of your help, too. I don't really know what to say. I, I didn't expect all that. Well, but. I figured it would be appropriate since this is the concluding episode for building the Second Realm series. But, yeah, I mean, and yes, we have our own different – and, yes, I am using, you know, catalactics and, and, and what the Austrian, like, deductive reasoning or whatever they call it. But, yeah, I mean, yes, you have – I mean, you have your skill set. I've got mine, right? You do the more AV type stuff. I do more, like, writing. And, and such. Hence why I mean, I mean, and, and yes, you've you've got your articles in LUA, but quite frankly, I got a lot more on you than than True. that. OK, yeah. OK, great. Yes. But I've also done AV stuff. I used to have a YouTube channel back in the day and then got rid of that because that was not my forte. Uh, and then I went back into podcasting, obviously, for a while. And then that dropped off. And then eventually I got in contact with you through um, FPRN, obviously. And then and then and look at everything that's happened since then. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's really, it's really crazy to think about looking back, you know, on three years. I mean, th- there, ha- there haven't been that many, you know, I, I guess there hasn't really been that much stable in my life. I, I lived in the same house for like the, for, for the entire time I was doing radio, um, and, and podcasting. But, uh, other than that, I mean, there, there really hasn't been much, but, uh, you know, with, with, you know, the, the weekly podcast and with, uh, you know, working with you for three freaking years, um, I've never produced as much content with anybody else. Um, never, never at all. Um, so yeah, and this doesn't count. I don't like- know. We, we've we've accomplished a fuck ton, man. And I'm just gonna you know be very frank about it. We've accomplished a fuck ton <laughs> in three years. Yeah, I know. And I mean, you you and and for LUA, I mean, you've been you've been kind of the guy behind the scenes, you know, of recommending ideas and and and, and sorts of things, and and that's and that's, and that's great. I mean, the, that's the why I'm wouldn't the creative have consultant. That's why I'm the creative yep. consultant. Yeah, exactly. The the food of the direct action series, the building the second realm series. I mean, um you kind of put the second realm in front of me and I didn't really have time to look at it for a month or two. And then, uh, I, I finally did, you know, sat down and read it. And then, you know, here we are, here we are concluding this series uh, on April 27th, uh, which will be released on Sunday. But yeah, it's, 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 it's been a crazy journey. And to think that it's, it's, it, it and it really does, uh, you know, as a little bit of a tangent as we conclude this, uh, this episode, but, um, we've talked before about the F the, the efficacy of, you know, decentralized peer-to-peer, I guess, open source, uh, you know, content creation sort of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And I think all of the stuff that we've done over the past three years uh, really demonstrates the the the, the success um, that these sorts of relationships can you know can that 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 they, that they can yield. Yeah, so, this is like this is this really is incredible. right. This is our ver- yes, this is our particular form of direct action that we do together and and separately as well, right? Like when you write your articles and I don't necessarily proofread them or whatever and, and vice versa, but you know some things we collaborate on, other things we don't or whatever. But and also there's also difference of degree. Like sometimes I only proofread stuff, sometimes you only proofread a mine and and whatever. I mean it just depends whatever specific thing we're working on. But yes, the the peer to peer thing like as far as what the alternative media used to be and all that uh pre-trump uh yeah i mean you and that's what you and i've been doing for three years and of course me before that so yes i mean as far as that particular style of uh direct action goes like we've done it are doing it and will continue to do it and the efficacy the actual proof that it works is look at the and, and by the way folks let me be clear about something it's not 
about the stats or the metrics, as one of my employers likes to mention it. Yeah, by, by, by the way, the, the amount of content on LUA is about as big as the Minera blockchain. <laughs> uh, when I have to back up the site, it's about 45 gigabytes right now. Uh, the Minera blockchain is might, might be you know early you know low to mid 50s, 50 gigabytes, something like that. I so can believe that. Uh, if you if you want to, and, and I mean I'd say half of that has whether it's uh, the the archives uh, obviously take up a lot of space there. Um, some stuff I've hosted for you and, and helped helped you out with. Um, so so yeah, I mean the. Uh, there's a lot of shit on there. There's a lot of stuff that we've done. Uh, it's, there's it's like there's no small... way anyone, anyone there's no way anyone can accuse us of not getting anything done. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's actually <laughs> at, at this point it's a small library that give it enough time it'll be a medium-sized library and given it enough time if you and I are fortunate to live long enough it might have become like a real library in some sense. Um, but yeah, I mean I mean my god, I mean even Dude, this doesn't even count like all the uh, the political prisoner archives, all the court documents, like that whole type of project all by itself. All like the twenty million PDFs and all that kind of stuff. It's not. Th- th- thankfully, the Patriots paid paid me for that though for for handling their bullshit for them. Yeah, because they were too lazy and or incompetent to do so because they don't understand computers or whatever their hangups were. Um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of amazing, man, just, just everything that's kind of been accomplished so far. And I mean, even the more typical journalism stuff, not just limited to the, you know, guys who are squatting at a birdcage a couple years back, but, but, but also some other things too. And, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just, I'm really just kind of honored to have kind of walked this journey with you and continuing to do so. But I figured it was appropriate to kind of mention it here publicly as we conclude this building the second realm series, because in many ways, We've already built a portion of it already. So that's, I guess so. And, and, and remember kind of like what old man Rayo said, Vanu fosters other Vanu. So because like the, like, like LUA publication, Oh God, there's LUA publications and all the different books. Oh my God. I completely forgot about all that stuff. You know, there's, I forget about it too, man. (laughs) I never promote it. I never, ever promote it. I'm still trying to finish my third book, by the way. Um, but yeah, I mean, like like all of this stuff. I mean, you've got multiple books, right? I've got at least two books out. I mean, it's it's just like all of the stuff that's been done and will continue and is being done and will continue to be done. It's it's really staggering to think about like what what's what's happened at least up to this point. And that's what I'm kind of getting at is that when people are pursuing liberty or Vanu or or building a second realm or however you want to phrase it, uh, different contexts for different things, different different specific goals and all that, like you can see like this long chain of like when you look at the state, you can kind of see like this long chain of abuses and usurpations invariably pursuing, you know, an end and all that uh, to, to kind of loosely paraphrase old man Jefferson. But I would say that, you know, um, <laughs> action, reaction, cause and effect, too. You can, and again, you see the historical trail, like from Rayo to Konkin to, you know, whomever to, and then up to us, basically. And I'd like to think we're part of that same tradition, that the idea is basically we're building something completely different and completely new that's never been done before. (laughs) Ben Stone and I just talked about this this past week. Um, so, I mean, yeah, that's, that's, we, we kind of talked about that this, this exact same thing. So, yeah. And, 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 <laughs> yeah. And, and although, and although the different authoritarians of 20 million different flavors who pretend to be so oppositely completely different from each other because one is red and the other is blue or whatever, um, 
Yeah, what is that? Where does that leave us? <laughs> yeah, really. Well, actually, libertarians have – actually, if we're talking about – as a side note, if we're talking about uh, colors, typically uh, the libertarian colors always been the blacks. So kind of like how the commies are the reds and the monarchists are the whites, libertarians have always been the blacks. Uh, but that, that's a side note about colors and symbols and such. But yeah, I don't know. But because the authoritarians claim that, that they're so completely opposite from each other, and it's like, no, you're just you're just statists. Then there's like 20 million different flavors of that with their own little like 20 million different special interest uh, flavors of whatever the hell they want to pursue this week. The special interest agenda of whether it's gun violence or it's, um, you know, they want to have uh, whatever god awful social engineering scheme it is this week about uh, political correctness or whatever. It's 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 kind of it's kind of fascinating to watch them trying to control so much and everything is slipping through their fingers, not right away, to be fair, but over time it is. I, at least I like to think so. And so when different – when there are, and, and yeah, for a while people do feel kind of lost, at least for a while. And then they come across people like us, and then we show them, at the risk of using the collective pronoun, yes, mea culpa, mea culpa, mea mox, mea culpa, different individuals similar to you and I – there we go – uh, present these lost souls with different options for doing things, whether it's something taken from the FUDA or whatever else, some form of direct action usually, Vanu, Agorism, or something else, building the suck in Rome in this case, and and showing them like, hey, there are other options. There are other ways of handling things in your life that can help make your life better or freer or what have you. And then people really kind of run with it because they didn't even know those options existed. And that was the original purpose of the alternative media, by the way. It wasn't just as a workaround the mainstream corporate media in terms of like current events and such. It was also a way of trying to get across to people things that they didn't even know existed or even would have access to that are actually realistic options, like for direct action and such. So like what people would kind of using the bastardized term activism – was also part of the alternative media, the original, the old alternative media as well. And I like to think we're kind of tr- continuing that same tradition, whether we relabel it the free media, as Alex Ansari has suggested, or 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 you call it something else. I mean, that, that's kind of the idea. We're, we're trying to do a workaround. We're trying to genuinely grow something here, build something here. And we'll find out in the fullness of time whether it's successful or not. But at the very least, we're making the effort. And so far, man and, – and let me be clear about something as I was about to mention a minute ago. In terms of measuring like our own efficacy in terms of producing like you know content and so forth, it's not just about like what one of my employers would call metrics, right? It's not just about or really even mostly even about – like whether you call it live listens or reads or clicks or views or it's whatever the, the specifics uh, it's, are. It's, the, it's a dedicated community that uh, we've built on TVP and, and, and I've built on LUA for the past three years. I mean that's – that's it, it's it's quality over quantity because, yeah, uh, apparently a lot of people don't like uh, – you know, don't like podcasts on solutions. They'd, they'd rather have entertainment, politics, uh, you know, sensationalism. Yeah, they'd rather, they'd so, rather watch so, – So, yeah, it's, 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 not, it's not metrics. It's uh, the fact that the people reaching out to me – um, or reaching out to us, that you know, it, they're the highest caliber people. Um, so you listening, yes, I mean that's that's you too. I mean you're 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 one of the most one of the high caliber people, um, libertarians, anarchists, whatever. So yeah, and 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 that's and that's and or, or even if people or even if they don't self-identify as such, but they at least want to learn 
because they're just whatever whatever their current lifestyle uh, you know situation is they're they're willing to start over let me put it that let me just keep it kind of maybe neutral in that sense right they want to start over they want to see what's out there and even if they don't necessarily agree with like my views, your views, et cetera, at least they're willing to at least give us a fair shot and at least keep an open mind until they have come to their own conclusions about what they think is right and just and moral and or even just efficacious if they're more utilitarian and so forth. They're at least willing to give us at least a fair hearing because right. most people will not. You look at the servile society, you look at that first realm, they will never give us a fair hearing. They will fucking string us up if they get a chance. Yep. Whether figuratively or literally, or you know, either figuratively or literally, maybe even both, they'll do it figuratively first. Then they'll string us up for real, like like we're like we're escaped slaves or something. Um, I mean, view that however which way you will. The point is, we don't get a fair hearing in any sense. So the fact that anybody would be willing to give us a fair hearing, even if they don't at least initially agree with us, is kind of a miracle in some ways. At least I think so. And see that. Oh, and that's the other thing too. One other thing I want to mention here as we start to close out here. My goal over the years has never been necessarily to proselytize. If people want to proselytize, you can get that pretty much from anybody, right? You can get that from all sorts of people who I shall not name here because I don't want to get free advertising. And for some people, that is what they're looking for, and maybe they do deserve to be proselytized at because they have no foundational ethics of any kind. Like they don't even understand something as basic as like the non-aggression principle kind of thing. Like we're starting like over from like bare bones basics where they need to understand even good old fashioned voluntarism kind of thing. Like they they like they don't know their head from their ass and like what's what what's what's an ethics kind of you know <laughs> you know it's just complete ignorance of that kind of thing because it was just never brought up when they were growing up. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. That's fine. But that is not who you and I have been really kind of tar- – in some sense our target audience. I mean, I mean, yes, there we can kind of appeal to that to some degree, but that's not the main focus. The focus is more doing things in the real world, especially with people who already kind of at least have something representing an ethical backbone, whether that came from – other folks who they they've been already been proselytized at or by or whatever, and and then and then after that, then they come to us for like the more kind of nitty gritty type stuff, which is fine. Um, mm, again, yeah. it's a, it's a market selection in alternative media. You know, it's kind of like you know, it's not exactly a linear line. It's more like a distributed network. Um, so I, I think what I'm trying to kind of say here is that it's really been kind of a blessing to have this opportunity to even do this kind of thing. Um, because, because, uh, let me put it this way, not to sound superstitious or spiritual on you, but the stars did not have to align in such a way for this to happen. And the fact that it did at all is really kind of nothing less than a miracle. At least I think so. Because things could have turned out very, very differently, especially if you get into like, you know, parallel universe type stuff, not to get too (laughs) sci-fi on you, but in parallel universes, you know, things would have been very, very different and so forth. Uh, some people might hypothetically speculate better or worse. I'm just saying different. Uh, Um, And so the fact that things turn out the way they did, I, th- I think, is, is really, really fortuitous, such as it is. And to kind of as, as a sneak peek for other potential episodes we do, seriously, man, I think we need to do something like either an episode or two or three or something on like free love type stuff. Because it is something I've been looking at lately in part because of the book I'm trying to finish. And oh, my God, it is so complicated and convoluted both that right. – so it's not just Katie in this novel – that was that was kind of the topic of tonight's episode, but it was also like all this other stuff that whenever I bring it up with the, even some of the locals here 
who you would think, because I live in Austin, Texas, that you would think they're a little bit more, I mean, yeah, lefty, but at least open-minded, if not necessarily lefty. Uh, but yeah, it brings up, and then they're like, no, you must get married, marriage license, marriage equality. It's like, oh, Jesus Christ. You know, anybody in a mental straitjacket? <laughs> maybe it's just me, I don't know. And, and may, maybe I'm the bohemian here, even though I don't dress like one. Uh, <laughs> it's just like, Jesus Christ. Right, right, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, I, I just want to say, man, it's it's really been it's really been kind of wonderful doing this kind of thing over the past couple of years, and you know, to another three years more. Hell yes, man! It's it's been fantastic. It really, really has been fantastic. I definitely wouldn't be where I am today uh, without uh, you know when, when we started chatting. I mean, we we would have like you know like every, you know probably five times a week we'd have like four or five hour Skype calls just digging through a bunch of really awesome information and such. So I definitely wouldn't be where I am without uh, without making your acquaintance. Uh, acquaintanceship and uh, colleagueship and uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I'm excited to see where where the next three years leads as well. I mean, it, it's kind of hard to foresee, right? Uh, mm-hmm. I, I definitely wouldn't have, wouldn't have expected to be here three years ago. So, uh, yeah, really, really, uh, truly, truly incredible. This is the basic law of life, and dear listeners, it is spiritual in its nature. If man failed to do everything in his power to protect his life as a result of such neglect lost his life then the destiny for which the soul came to earth would end there Without life, a body or medium to function through spiritual attainment would be impossible, ladies and gentlemen. Spirituality would then be forfeited. You see, if man's life was threatened without cause on his part and he failed to do everything in his power to prevent death, he would then be guilty of three actual crimes. He would first of all permit the enemy to commit murder. Next, he would be committing suicide by failing to protect the most precious possession given to man by his creator. And worst of all, he would end whatever his destiny might be, the purpose for which body, mind, and life had been given to him. And I believe it's to learn something. In one respect, man is forced to be a warring, not a murdering creature. And I might inject here that the Ten Commandments does not say in its original form, thou shalt not kill. It says, ladies and gentlemen, and you can check this, if you wish, go to the original Hebrew and Greek, it says, thou shalt not murder. So in one respect, man is forced to be a warring, not a murdering creature. From his birth, the law of self-preservation forces him to be on guard against every inimical force attempting to destroy him by one means or another. He must be on the alert to prevent man, natural forces, or his own carnal desires to betray him into acts of degradation. Man is a warring creature. But his war, I tell you his war is an honorable war. It is one of protection. 
first himself so that he may protect those he is responsible for, but in doing so must not take unfair advantage of others nor be guilty of unrighteousness. nature of this was and is actually spiritual. It is the battle of righteousness against evil. It is a war biblically spoken of as taking place in heaven because it is waged within man's spiritual nature. He fights to fulfill destiny and to finally create heaven on earth for himself and others who follow. By the war of righteousness, wherein there is no selfishness, the consciousness which makes him a man, knowing both good and evil, having chosen good to attain the promise. Sonship. Notice, you must choose. You must choose. Each and every one of you listening to this broadcast tonight must choose, and you must choose very quickly. You might ask, is there actually a need for some form of evil in the life of man? Was this, together with some form of fear, ordained in the beginning? And I say nothing has been ordained, but if the divine law is to be fulfilled in the life of man, then it is certainly necessary that he, according to sacred concepts, become a crusader in God's cause, and not exist as a negative, effortless, uncreative, unproductive creature, a leech, a parasite upon the rest. The first command is that he must become a man in the true sense of the term, and this implies that he must prepare himself to meet the enemy that is ever alert to destroy the best that he has created. He must meet evil as the soldier meets the enemy. Doing this in the righteousness of his conscience neutralizes fear. Any of you call and ask me, Bill, aren't you afraid? My answer has always been, and always will be, no. No, no, and no. Well, I know from where I have come, and I know where I am going. I know who I am, and I know that I possess a soul. I fear the actions of no man. I fear the judgment of no man. I fear only the judgment of my God. And I know that if I am doing what is right, I need not ever fear that judgment. And therefore, I am not afraid.